This is Sporting Max with Max Becker on SEN. Welcome back to the Opals edition on Sporting Max. Thanks to Basketball Australia. It's great to be working with them. We've got an WNBL, an Australian, a WNBA legend in the house. Their number seven jersey was retired by the Phoenix Mercury. But today we're here to chat everything Australian Opals and the World Cup here on home soil in Sydney um, in 2022 in September. Michelle Timms. Michelle, it's an absolute honour and a pleasure to have you on. How are you at the moment? I'm doing really well, getting excited as uh, as the run-up continues to the, the first toss of the ball in September. So, yeah, looking forward to chatting with you. Now, Michelle, I just want to sort of go, take a glimpse of your career um, and sort of your time with the Open. So I want to get into sort of how, what was your childhood like and what was growing up really like for you? Well, actually, I come from a big family of um, nine kids and um, – at, at my primary school at the time, surprisingly enough, back in the uh, uh, early 70s, basketball was one of the most popular um, sports at school, along with football. And I remember each day that we used to race out of the uh, race out of the classroom at recess and lunchtime and and bars the court, you know. So then the then the boys who were playing cricket on the basketball court would have to get off. And <laughs> but basketball was really big um, yeah. at my school. Yeah. And it was I, I realized very quickly that joining a team was a great opportunity to play with friends and get to hang out with them on the weekends and that. So my basketball journey started at uh, on the Asheville, I guess, at Bellevue Primary School. And I come, I live in um, the suburb of Bulleen. And so all through my childhood days, it was, it was all about getting one of these special um, warm-up tops that only the best players in our, you know, Manningham yeah. municipality got to wear. So um, I was under 12 and I went down there and tried out for the bullying team and didn't make it. Um, we all, we rocked in, we all had numbers and they just rolled the ball out and we played five on five and they picked some teams. And then, so the next year I was a little bit more um, like I knew what the process was about. So I went out there again as an under 12 and then, and made the bullying team and finally got to wear the blue and gold special warm up top that meant you were a rep player. And, and then from there, I just uh, plugged away and, made state teams and, you know, under 16, under 18 and under 20 and junior national teams and, yeah, played for Australia and ended up with a pretty good um, career out of the game of basketball and travelled me all around <laughs> the world and, you know, got to play in the WNBA and live in European countries and um, get paid to do something that I absolutely love. So I feel very, very fortunate to have had or taken the journey I did. What was the excitement like for you as a kid? Um, making that first rep team? Oh, it was huge. Um, you know, especially seeing so last year that I, uh, I I missed out and I was really, you know, the whole year was all about, you know, getting up shots in the backyard and playing one-on-one against as many people as I could and, uh, you know, battles out in the backyard with my brothers and that. And so mm-hmm. um, getting the, uh, getting notified that I'd made the team was, it was absolutely fantastic. Um, so Michelle, we speak about, I know you've got your own sort of Michelle Tim's coaching academy. I speak about with people every day, someone like a Harry Froling or, you know, a Keely Froling or Tess Magin, those kinds of players, um, about the importance of um, players and when you're younger, not locking to a specific position because then you get to the age of 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, where, you know, you might hit a growth spurt and then you've been, you might be playing point guard for a whole, for your whole life and then all of a sudden you shoot up to a centre. So how how important is that for you when you 
take that into do you take that sort of into your coaching or do you sort of try and 100% really good stuff you're talking about here because it's a real pet hate of mine that you know um at my academy really focus just on the basic fundamentals of the game and challenge the kids to be the best they can be and we don't positionalize and like we don't say okay you're tall so you're a five man you're you know so very conscious of not doing that because um due to like you were saying growth spurts and what have you can happen at any time so um, we pride ourselves on, you know, everybody's handling the ball, everybody gets taught to shoot, everybody, you know, uh, is flexible. So if you if you catch the ball in the key, you've got to be able to finish in the key, whether you're big or small. So uh, it's a really good point you raise, and it frustrates me a little bit um, seeing these under-12 rep teams at times positioning players. So if, if you are uh, unfortunately tall for an under-12 kid, you'll get told you're playing on the inside just go rebound or you know we'll try and get you the ball chief you know so um and you don't get you don't necessarily get the opportunity to work on your handles in a game situation because you're always told to get to the x or Mm. you know clog up the key or what have you so um so it's a really good point it's something that really definitely frustrates me as a as you know teaching in my academy when i hear about um kids you know coming to me at under 14s and tall but have no handles you know, don't have, can't shoot, don't, don't have really great um, shooting technique. They haven't been able to shoot the ball much from the outside the key. Um, so, yeah, it's really important that I think at a young age that we don't um, categorise players and that they, they get to learn and understand the uh, principles of motion and principles of play as opposed to just being stuck in a position. So, Michelle, you speak about making those state teams, those national teams, working your way up through the ranks. So then... How did you get that first opportunity with the Bull Lane Boomers? Um, so the first opportunity with the Bull Lane Boomers, you mean in the under-12s? Uh, Bull Lane Boomers, I'm um, at WNBL level, I mean. Oh, the WNBL, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, um, interestingly enough, my first opportunity, um, I, I actually got recruited to go play for Nana Wadding in the WNBL. Um, Nana Wadding Spectres with Tom Ma, Robin Marsh, uh, you know, they just had a fantastic team with all the, you could mention half the Australian team was in that team. And and I was an up-and-coming um, bulleen player and um, in the juniors. And and I was kind of like second second point guard, like, you know, not really established as the, the main point guard. And Tom Ma um, asked if I'd be interested in coming over to Nunawading, which I couldn't believe. This is the number one team in, in Australia and yeah. Yeah. Um, just won a championships. And, and, and I've been asked to come over and and play at the point. And so I'm like, oh, heck yeah. So, so <laughs> my, my, my uh, career, I mean, I had played a few games off the bench for Bully in the WNBL, but my career actually started, I guess, um, with minutes and playing at Nunna Wadding. So, um, yeah, that's how that all started. And we went on to win a few championships and um, have a great time with Nunna Wadding. And then being a bit like basketball, as you would have found, um, a, bit, a bit at times a journeyman. So, like, I, I went over and I played in... Uh, Perth, I played in Sydney. So went around Australia and played for a few different WNBL teams and then was really lucky on the back of my WNBA, I decided I wanted to come back. And I always really wanted to. I really wanted to come back and finish my career at Pauline and um, was able to do that. So that was there were some great years, those last years with the Pauline Boomers. So how do you reflect and compare different championship experiences? I mean, it obviously depends on the type of year, your situation, whether you're playing home or away. But as you reflect now, how do you compare 
um, championship situations? Um, in the WNBL, I think um, I was part of five or six championships and um, they all are very special. And I guess the people that you play with make them even more special. And, and it, you know, and it like one in Perth was really special. Um, they never won a championships and, and I was fortunate enough to be part of that first ever championship with the Waste Breakers and Wally Foreman back in the day. And um, so that, that's, you know, when it's a first of something that's very special. And then when you're able to go on, on a bit of a run with the same team and um, um, build something really special, which is what we did at Not Awarding, that was really special. And uh, I guess a sign of um, how much you regard that championship is in the relationships that you form. And, you know, uh, I'm still friends to this day with my Perth friends that I won the championship with and, and the Not Awarding Spectre girls. So before we touch on sort of your WNBA career and then get, I guess, into Opals and the upcoming World Cup and your experience um, with the Australian Opals and things like that, you were initially the first, I guess, male or female player um, or an, an Australian to go and play internationally overseas in Germany. Can you tell me about what it's like to play overseas in a foreign country where, you know, you're, you're, not, you're, play, you're playing with people who, you know, don't speak your language and how you can communicate with them and things like that? Yeah, um, I remember I was working with Lindsay Gaze down at Basketball Victoria or VBA it was called back yeah, then. Yeah. And um, I, I was asked to, after the 88 Olympics, um, Lorraine Landon, um, who works at Basketball Australia, was um, contacted by a German club saying, look, we're interested in a point guard, played for Australia at the 88 Olympics. and da, da, da. So she gave them my phone number and um, I ended up saying, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll go over there, even though I was full-time at Basketball, uh, Basketball Victoria and making more money than the contract that I was going to get in Germany. And I just thought the experience was going to be too great to, um, to you know, knock back and no one had really done it before, gone over there as a female and played professionally. And um, so I thought, okay, yeah, I'd, I'd love to have this opportunity. So I went over there and um, it was fantastic. It was, it, you know, it was it was fantastic in that I was um, staying in um, the center plots of Munich and I uh, had this wonderful apartment in that. But very quickly, coming from a big family, um, I found that I got homesick, something I really didn't expect. I thought, you know, I was ready for it and it was going to be, you know, fantastic. But I got incredibly homesick. And to the extent that, um, <coughs> excuse me, I had to ask for my um, pay in advance my first two months because I was on the phone constantly. You know, you probably don't even know what a pay phone is, but yeah, yeah. Um, using coins to call back home to mum and dad crying because I missed home so much and I felt so alone. And, you know, to, it must have been terrible for mum to hear that and dad. But, you know, they were always about you made a commitment, you got to stick by it, da, 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 da. And so it was the best, even though it was harsh to hear that, it was probably the best advice I've been given because I did end up settling in and made some wonderful friends and, played in a team which was just, you know, we went on and won a European, uh, no, we didn't win the European Championship in that team, but we won the um, the German Cup. And um, it was a really interesting sort of environment to play in. I played with uh, Susanna Bokshai, who was a Hungarian national team player, who was probably one of the best players in Europe at that time. Definitely had the best jump shot out of anyone I'd seen in 88, 89. And so she was Hungarian, didn't speak any English, but she was like my training buddy. So We'd um she just swing by in her BMW, pick me up. We'd go to a training hall every day, and we couldn't communicate. But basketball was our our vehicle for that. So uh, wow. um, it was really interesting. But that was nothing compared to the actual game day. So um, we had a Hungarian coach, 
um, a Hungarian wife was playing in the team uh, and Shuzana was Hungarian. Then we had a French national player um, and then we had a sprinkles, sprinkling of uh, Germans as well. So it was a really, you know, multicultural sort of team. And being the point guard, the position is uh, pretty important. You know what the yeah, you got to yeah. know what the, the coach is wanting in a timeout. So um, you know, it was just crazy. So by the time it got um, translated from Hungarian to German, from German to French, it was already the game was back on, and I'm trying to walk walk back out on the court as though I knew what was going on. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> I was lucky. I was lucky. I had a pretty good IQ about the game, so I kind of figured if I was coach, this is what I would think we were needing to do. So, so yeah. So can you tell me about um, on the uh, during the onset of that 1997 WNBA coming into play? What was that like for you to go out to the Phoenix Mercury? Oh, that was. That was fantastic. I was actually, um, I remember getting, uh, having my name drawn out. It was, um, well, actually, let me back that up. I was playing for uh, BTFL Wuppertal in, uh, in the European League. And, um, and I was away with, we were on a road trip. And uh, I, my agent said, look, you'll get a call around 2 or 3 a.m. So sure enough, um, my phone goes off and I've, I've got a call. And it's, um, I think it was Jerry, Jerry Colangelo. And he's going, you know, or and Cheryl Miller saying that, you know, we we picked you as our um, our number one player with along with Jennifer Gillum for the very first team, um, for the very first Phoenix Mercury team. So that in itself was a huge honor because they had a pool of um, they had eight teams and they had sixteen players that the WNBA itself handpicked, and then it was over to the teams to fight it out to see who got the got the um the breakdown of the 16 players and each team took two players so anyway at that stage I didn't know much about Phoenix I mean you know I I was hoping to go to New York or or, um Los Angeles only because they were really the only places that I knew about much of in America but I was absolutely wrapped to go to, to Phoenix it was an amazing place um the experience was phenomenal it was it was insane because you know I'm used to playing in front of you know, maybe 800 people at the Veneto Club in Berlin or, you know, over in Europe it was different because, you know, we had packed out stadiums and stuff, I guess, back yeah. there. But um, but going to the WNBA was very surreal. It was, I guess I got a, um, I often say that I got a first look at how the AFL players and the NBA players must feel on a celebrity sort of status. You know, it was crazy. When I got off on the, out of the plane, there was signs of a couple of hundred people at the airport saying, welcome, you know, wow. Z and all this sort of stuff. And um, whenever we went to a restaurant, people would pay or offer to pay for our meal and people were doing crazy stuff, trying to get an autograph. <laughs> and, you know, it was, it was unbelievable. Were there, were there any like, like crazy or dramatic lengths people would go to to get a photo or, or an autograph or something like that? Well, yeah. Um, we had a police car once, you know, I was in the car with our, our coach. We were going to a promotion and we had a police car burn up by us and pull us over and, you know, get the sirens going. And they just wanted an autograph from <laughs> myself. And I was thinking, oh, my gosh, what have we done? You know, like, what the yeah, heck? Yeah. But, um, no, nah, it was um, it, it was it was on a different scale of crazy, but it was absolutely fantastic. Loved every minute of it, and the opportunity that I had, you know, in Phoenix, because I think I because I was a foreigner, I had the bleach blonde hair. Um, I had a an interesting little following happening over there, and people would rock up. I'd look up into the crowd, and I'd see all these blonde haired people with shaved hair, like my haircut, and people wore masks, you know, shaped in the same sort of way as my haircut, and uh, it was it was unreal. I had a um, a lady, an old lady, 
beautiful lady. She was about, um, must have been nearly 80, and she'd lined up for a long time to get our, our my autograph at a um, at a shopping centre. And um, she, you know, she, bur- she basically burst into tears and gave me a hug and said, oh, I'm wow. so glad to meet wow. you. I, I love the way you play. I used to play back in the day. And, you know, I love you so much that I, I called my ass after you. And, I, <laughs> and, you know, I'm thinking, but... And um, and she goes my ass, and she flicked out a photo of her donkey. Oh, got this donkey called Timsey. <laughs> but um, anyway, there's some funny stories. But you know, another great story was um, I was trying to impress Qantas. I had a friend who yep. was working for Qantas, and I was trying to get um, trying to get uh, um, a sponsorship with Qantas at the time because I was doing a lot of flying back and forth, and I thought, come on, this is you know. Why wouldn't they want to sponsor Timsey? You know, <laughs> so anyway, it's it's, it's 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 expensive to travel back and forth. Like, absolutely, and yeah, so yeah. Well, most of the time the team paid paid for it, but there were still occasions. You know, <laughs> anyway. Um, so I flew one of the guys out, and and I worked out that his favorite um, team was LA, and and so my job during the off season at Phoenix for the first few years was just to be seen and be around during the NBA season. So they used to sit me on the end of the bench of the visiting team courtside in the NBA I know crazy right tough thing someone had to do it so I had the tickets and I um and I organized him to come over for the LA game and you know his favorite player was Shaquille O'Neal so anyway we're sitting down there at the end of the um the bench on the baseline and um and Shaq sees me and he and and I didn't really know Shaq other than just to say hi you know and he and he comes over and goes Hey, Timsy, I like your game, you know, like this. <laughs> and, I, and I nearly died myself. And then I yeah. quickly was like, oh, this is my mate, you know, from Qantas, you know, can you say, you know, just, just introduce yeah. him, you yeah. know. And I, it was just the absolutely most amazing, you know, sequence of events. And I thought for sure Timsy's in. She's going to be sponsored by Qantas. She'll be, you know, wearing the, you know, the kangaroo. Anyway, didn't get it. Like, oh. Not even that got me the deal so anyway <laughs> I, I obviously had the wrong person that I from Qantas but anyway yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no it was it was had a lot, a lot of great times a lot of great stories and you know getting to shoot around and um with with the NBA players during their um like if they were injured and stuff during their season and then the lead up to my season and you know, going to some of the NBA houses were just like mind blowing. The guys, what they, because the money they earn is just, I mean, now it's even more ridiculous. I mean, that was 20 years ago I played, yeah. but um, even back then, they, they didn't know how to spend the money, you know. So you'd go to their places, they'd have like, you know, five or six cars, you know, a massive basketball court, uh, and a proper gym in their home, and just you know, on a mansion, just unbelievable, um, unbelievable. One of them had a, a bowling alley in his house, what? like just crazy stuff. But um, yeah, I know, right? So yeah, great memories of a great time, and I feel really lucky to have been, you know, able to go through that at the very start, the first season of the WNBA. So what about the? Uh, I think it might have been the nineteen ninety eight um, WNBA playoffs. You played with the Phoenix Mercury. Can you take me through? Those, that playoff series for you? Yeah, that was um, – we'd made our way to the grand final series against Cynthia Cooper, Cheryl Swoops and Tina Thompson, the big three for um, Houston Rockets, Houston Comets, and um, they were the team to beat. And we uh, – it was a – oh, gosh, what was it? It was a best of three, and we had the first grand final at home and, and we won it. It was just massive, and we were up, you know, dancing on the scoreboard and just going crazy. And then we we go back to um, 
we go back to, to Houston to play the second game. We're really super confident. We've done, we've done a great job scouting. The team's playing super. And, um, and Cynthia Cooper was always the cat. Like, she was the one you had to watch. She, was, she could just turn games. And we were 12 up. Um, I think we were, like, 12 up with seven minutes to go. And that still is a long time. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but she, and we kept her quiet. And she was – I'd been on her for a fair bit of the game and, and was on her at this point as well. And, um, and so pretty, thinking, you know, I mean, as the clock's ticking down, as a player, you don't think much about it. But uh, at the end of the game – I did get distracted, got to say, when I saw him putting the, the red ropes around the court side to, you know, thinking Phoenix had won it and they're going to have to do the presentation after the game. And oh. all. However, Cynthia Cooper just came to life and she put the team on her back and she was unstoppable and she got him over the line and uh, we had to go to game three. And it was, it was terrible because after that, we all sort of head down, embarrassed, heading to the change room. As, as we turned the corner to the change room, we see all these people fussing around the change room, and 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 they've they've um they're, they're quickly trying to take out all the congratulations t-shirts, hats, wheat bix boxes, champagne, oh. and everything because they thought the way we were playing at that you know as the clock's ticking down we were going to win <laughs> we're in it yeah so we rock back into the room and there's still you know you can see things up champions and all that sort of stuff it was just terrible and then we weren't able to get up. And, and be in a mental state of where we needed to be the next day. And um, lo and behold, Houston continued their reign of the best team during that time. So you know how NBA teams, like WNBA teams, they, they make all these hats and, um, yeah. you know, T-shirts. Merchandise like there. Yes, yeah, so what's happened? what happens with all the merchandise if one teams don't win? They just they just chuck them out, for sure. They just burn them, yeah. So, so there was... You have um, to. You can't, like, give them to, like... Family no. members of the club. No, no yeah. we. They just went straight in the bin. I'm sure, and they um they they even had the the cutout bo- uh, wheat bix boxes too. Wow. With, with their faces on it because they you know yeah anyway yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't mention the war anyway not to worry yeah um, that was the closest I'd come to winning a championship though and uh, unfortunately that was one of the things I guess for me um I think I got a little too wrapped up in the whole WNBA celebrity status. And, and I don't think I got to play my best basketball um, for the WNBA. I definitely in 96, just prior to the Olympics, I'd, I'd worked um, just prior to the, the Olympics, which was, um, which I got selected from, I guess, to, to have my name put forward for the WNBA. I was really tracking and clicking nicely. And, um, and there were, there, you know, I was one of the, one of the better point guards in the world, but I think I just, lost focus when I went to the WNBA and and that's one of my biggest regrets is not being able to um be the best that I that I should that I was for a, a long period in time and I'd worked so hard to get there and I, I really wasn't up there long enough I don't think and if I had my time again I would have focused a little bit more instead of getting so caught up in the um oh the hoo-ha of the WNBA what was that best thing about your WNBA experience oh the best thing Gee, I'd just just to have women's sport being put on a platform that was so appreciated, I think that was probably the best thing. To getting a taste of what what it what it's often like for the men's was pretty nice, I've got to say. Well, now you speak about um, Michelle playing your best basketball um, with the Opals. I think the whole world would agree. You absolutely played your best basketball when you put on the green and gold, representing your team at World Championships, Olympics. 
So what was that first Olympic selection and experience like for you in 1988? Well, that's really turning the clock back. Um, it was, it was, I've said this word before, but it was surreal because I had no expectations. I, I had, I didn't know what to expect, expect out of an Olympic um, experience. And, and after that, they all just became very much about business, you know, um, but for those Olympics, I allowed myself to really absorb and, and feel every emotion attached to what it meant to be an Olympian. So for example, I went to the opening and closing ceremony, whereas in the next Olympics, uh, you know, I, I didn't go to the opening or closing ceremony except for the um, the 2000 opening ceremony. There was no way I was going to miss that. So the very first one was very like um, you were like a kid in a candy store. You know, you had you had all these we're in Seoul, Korea and you had, you know, everything on tap that you could possibly want. Mm-hmm. There was free ice creams, free drinks, you know, 24 um, seven um, cafe. You know, you had a smorgasbord of athletes that you could go and sit next to whoever you wanted at breakfast. You know, there weren't designated areas. So it was unbelievable. At that time, there was a, a um, an American diver who was very famous called Greg Luganis. And um, I remember I walked into breakfast one day here and he was just sitting there on his own. So I just grabbed my breakfast, couldn't believe my luck, and just went and plonked myself next to him and started chatting. And it was just, it was, it was just absolutely amazing and then of course on your day off you'd go into Korea into um it uh was it Itaewon no I'm not quite sure I probably really messed that up but you'd go shopping and at that stage they had these great markets and oh just the whole experience was was unreal that very first one but then after that it was like right I know about the food I'm not going to go crazy on that um I'm not going to go to the opening ceremony and spend you know eight hours standing up when I had to play the next day you know, that sort of thing. So a little bit wiser the next couple. So the 1996 Atlanta Olympics, you helped lead um, the Australian Opals to their first bronze medal um, at an Olympics. What's that surreal moment and feeling like, we you know, oh, we've, that won, was, we've, we've got our first medal? Yeah, that was insane because it was so intense. And um, um, it was, even when I think about it now, it sends tingles because, you know, we were brought up, every Australian player puts on the jersey and you heard Paddy Mills talk about it with the Boomers, but every player that wears that green and gold, they're representing, not, you know, not, not just themselves and their family, their country, but also those special people that went beforehand and, and set everything up for us. You know, like we, we often talk about the 57 um, World Cup team who had to get on a boat for three months and travel somewhere and pay their own way to go and play. So it was and we'd done a lot about the history and who we were leading up to that Olympics. And, and, and it was something that we were all very, we knew the enormity of what we were about to do, you know. And um, so it was really, really special because we knew it meant more. It, it wasn't just about us. It was about our uh, coming of age as a basketball nation and about all the women that um, had come before us and enabled us this opportunity. So can you take me through that bronze medal game? What's that like? You know what? To be honest, I remember I, I um. It was that's the game where um we had a bit of bifo. <laughs> we had I think that's the one where they uh um there's a famous photo if you go through the '96 captions of the Olympics there's a a photo of um one of the girls holding me down on the ground ready to slap me. <laughs> so um it was it was it was unbelievable and and robin Marr and shelly gorman and michelle brogan had fantastic games 
Um, I didn't play that great personally that game, but it didn't matter because we, were, you know, the team was was sinking along just splendidly. But um, it, every game at Olympics is intense. But when we were playing for our first ever medal, um, I guess emotionally too, knowing how to handle those nerves came into it as well. And I probably didn't handle them as as uh, as well as I probably needed to, which was something I definitely learned from over the next, you know, 2000 Olympics. So what are strategies you can put into place to, you know, settle those nerves, calm yourself down before a big Olympic match? Yeah, well, you know what? I think that um, um, for me, I used to get a little bit of anxiety. So, um, and and knowing how to handle that anxiety was was became critical for me towards um, the last, I'd say, four, five, six years of my career. And um, so for me, it was about uh, breathing and um, making sure the night before that I was able to get myself into a relaxed state to actually fall asleep. So I used to build up a lot of um, um, anxiety in that the night before, and then I'd not be able to sleep. And then I was wrecked by the next day. Um, so it was actually understanding and, uh, and handling the, uh, the anxiety part of it for me. So can you take me through the 2000 Olympics? What, what was that lead up in the year to those Olympics like? I mean, your training schedule, how much do you try and prepare with the side ahead of an Olympics? Well, that was, that was a really interesting time for me because um, if I had my time again, I would have handled it all completely different because the Opal, the Australian team um, prior to those Olympics, um, pretty much everybody said that they were going to stay in um, Australia as, as a unit and um, get ready for the Olympics. And, and I sort of weighed things up because it was going to be my last um, WNBA. Uh, there wasn't too many more seasons left for me in the WNBA. And so I, I felt like I wanted to make bank, uh, make um, yeah, bank one more season. So, and I thought it'd be great preparation going over there, playing against the best in the world prior, you know, to get myself ready. But um, as it turned out, not a good decision, Timsey. So, um, as luck would have it, I actually got injured. Um, oh, probably about I want to say six or eight weeks out of the Olympics, wow. and. Um, and I'd sort of hanging in there trying to get the knee right, but knew it was bad. So ended up um, ditching my contract and heading back to Australia and uh, seeing um, Jill Cook and David Young, my surgeon, who they did a little, um, uh, David Young did a surgery on my knee to just help me kind of get to the Olympics. But for me, that was, um, you know, you're so egotistical, not always, but as, a, uh, as an athlete, you know, you're all about yourself to a degree. And uh, or I definitely as much as you can in that short span of yeah. And also for me, I, I didn't want to um yeah. I I didn't really want to go to the Olympics unless I could play like Timsey of old. You know, like mm. I had Grant. I had you know my mind was set that I was gonna, you know, we were gonna win a, a gold medal and I was gonna shoot the three on the buzzer. You know, yeah. to be the hero. And um and so if I wasn't able to play like Timsey, I didn't want to go. Mm. So mm. I actually um. I, uh, I was in a lot of trouble emotionally during that lead up. And, and I, you know, I, I had a number of meetings with the coach saying, I don't want to go, don't take me, blood a, another player, da 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 da. Um, you know, very selfishly. And anyway, um, but things turned around and the coach convinced me that he, he wanted my leadership there. So um, I ended up going and, and, it, and I'm really lucky that he, you know, helped me change my mind about it all, you know, because I got to really finish my career off in a, in a rounded way. Like I never, I was captain at the time and, and, and I'd never really 
understood what it meant to be a captain. And this injury was was a bit of a blessing where I got to really, um, I don't know, work on something that I hadn't really um, worked on before and understood yeah. what was involved. And so um, I really enjoyed being captain of that team, albeit I didn't have, you know, like I, I didn't play as much as or have an impact like I, I wanted to, but I was still incredibly pr- proud of what uh, the way we represented ourselves as, as the Opals and the silver medal. And, and I felt really rounded as an athlete coming to the end of their career that I got to, you know, do a bit of everything in my career. So, um, yeah, str- you know, things happen for a reason. And, and, you know, it was a wonderful experience. The 2000 Olympics goes down as my favourite Olympics. Um, I guess because I was so proud on so many different levels of, of you know, yes, we won a silver medal, um, could have been gold. We, we, we didn't, we choked at the end, but anyway, let's not talk about that. But um, <laughs> but I was just really proud to be an Australian. You know, in America, the players, you know, the, the Americans are super proud and they don't mind, they don't mind showing that they're proud Americans, you know, you know, they, they you know, whack their chest and, you know, we love USA and all that sort of stuff. And some, you know, Aussies, we're so different, you know, we don't, we, we don't often say, you know, stuff like that. I'm so proud to be an Aussie or we don't show it. Yeah. But everything was on show during those Olympics. It was just phenomenal. Like I was so proud to be an Aussie from the, the way we put the Olympics on, the spirit that everybody from the bus driver to the person, you know, serving the, um, working behind the counter for the food at the venues and just everybody, um, we just did an absolutely fantastic job, especially on the back of 96 being a bit of a disaster um, with, 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 the, with the volunteers quitting mid-shift in all different areas of the Olympics and bomb going off. So I was super proud of the, what we were able to put on as a nation and, and, uh, and just how proud everyone was to be an Aussie and we didn't mind showing it, you know, and it was, it was really nice. So for me that goes down as the, um, definitely my favourite and I feel like one of the best-run Olympics that's ever been put on. And I've been to... Yeah, only three as a player, but um, three also as a as a coach. So I've been to six Olympics, and um, and and I think I've kind of, you know, had enough experience to be able to put Australia in that position because I really think they did a fantastic job. London was great too. Um, Beijing was good, but definitely for me, um, and Rio was Rio was Rio was good, but Australia was, I think, the best Olympics put on since my involvement, which was back in '88. So what's it like to be the captain? Um, yeah, it, well, it became very special. <laughs> it became very special for me. So um, I, it was gonna, it, it was my swan song too. So it was the last time I was going to be playing for Australia at, at, at the Olympics. So to be the captain of that team, which was such a fantastic team, was um, an incredible honour and, um, and something that I, I really threw myself into after I could stop being so selfish and self, you know, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so it, it was really special. And, you know, I wasn't um, captain for a long time and um, they just don't throw the captaincies around. So um, I felt really, really honoured to be able to lead the Opals into that Olympics. So in 2009, you get picked as an assistant coach to coach the Opals. Can you take me through transitioning from a player to a coach? Yeah, well, what had I done in between that? So I, I had done a little bit of commentating, a little bit of coaching, um, here, you know, with different teams. 
Um, and I think, what was that, 2009? So I've just gone so to the just, 2000. Yeah, yeah just so got just, to the, sort of just missed, you've uh, sort of just left sort of mid-season the South Dragons. Yeah, that's correct. I've just, I, I went over to, um, I went over to China to work with the Chinese national team. Tom Ma was over there coaching and he, they sacked his assistant coach, so, um, um, who was a French assistant coach. And so uh, he rang me and asked if I'd come over and, you know, it was like six months out of the Olympics for Beijing to work with the Chinese team. And I said, oh, that sounds like a good idea. What an experience. And I, and I don't have to do all the hard work of the three years prior. I just get to rock in as assistant and, and uh, yeah, enjoy the fruit. So that was an amazing experience. But the next year I got to um, suit up as an assistant coach for the Australian Opals. So um, that, was, that was incredible. Carrie Graff was the head coach then. And um, um, I think probably for me, I probably needed maybe another, um, I think maybe another Olympic cycle before I went back into that because there were still players there that I'd played with. And so I probably think if I had my time again, maybe I should have waited another cycle and then I could have maybe been even more help, you know. Um, but that was that was fantastic. That was one uh, that led up to London Olympics. And, um, yeah, you know, Liz Cambridge, Lauren Jackson, what a ball club. Um, it was it was. Once again, uh, just privileged to be a part of that. And um, we, uh, oh, I, I think we, we won the bronze medal then. So that was fantastic. And uh, it was definitely interesting transitioning, interesting learning how to um, work within, with players who your peers at some stage. So, you know, that transition was a little tr tricky for me. So I think if I'd, I'd maybe given it another four years and gone back in when, um, when you know, maybe the players weren't still playing, then I could have even been a better assistant coach. Can you take me through what it's like to, you know, sort of be an assistant coach at Olympics level and how that your perspective is different um, as a coach from when you're a player at Olympics? Oh, it's, it's chalk and cheese. <laughs> you're you're absolutely, as an assistant coach, you're, you know, like as a player, you're focused on your game and then you prepare for the next game. Well, you've already prepared for every single game before you get there, except for what happens, you know, in the finals and that. Um, but um, but as a coach, as a co like, and there's downtime as a player. So you play your game, you go get treatment, you can switch off. As a, as a coach, there's none of that. You're just full on 24-7. Um, it's all about the game, um, all about just watching, re-watching, you know, fine-tuning, chatting. It's, it's you don't sleep much as an assistant coach, that's for sure. Wow. So can you take me through what it's like to work with someone like a Lauren Jackson? Yeah, she's just amazing. I think, you know what, as a player, um, that was one of my biggest regrets in my career is not being able to sort of, well, not being able to play with Lauren when she was at her height. Um, I was on the way out, so... Um, you know, Lauren came in as a young baby and um, she was phenomenal. You know, she was just like a 16-year-old kid at the World Cup in Germany in 98 and she's only playing 11 minutes or eight minutes, but she's scoring more minutes than she's more points than she, minutes played. So, you know, she played 11 minutes, she get 15 points. She played. So she was, she was phenomenal. And so one of my biggest regrets that um, our, um, I guess our careers didn't align a little bit better. I would have loved to have been Christy Harrow and had an opportunity to play. Christy Harrow is the, the, there was the next point guard for Australia who had the opportunity to play with Lauren Jackson in, in her glory. 
And um, Christy is an absolutely phenomenal point guard. And together, they were just incredible, the dynamic duo. So um, as, a, as a teammate, the good thing about Jacko was that she was a fierce competitor. Um, the moment she's, you know, muck around and have fun off the court, but as soon as she got on, it was that, you know, take no prisoner mentality. I don't care if you're best, my best mate, you know, I'm not taking anything easy on you. And that's what made her so great is that, you know, she brought to the Opals something, I guess, that it really didn't have. Actually, her era brought something that the Opals didn't have. I don't think we didn't ooze that much in, in my day. And that was incredible confidence. And, um, you know, Penny Taylor, Lauren Jackson, Susie Batkovich, Christy Harrower. I mean, those those guys just walked out there and and teams shuddered, you know. They, 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 were, they were feared. And, um, and I think that was on the back of Lauren Jackson and, and Penny Taylor brought that to the Opals, uh, which, we'd ha- which hadn't had that bit of grunt about them. I don't think it's grunt. I don't know how to explain it. But, and it wasn't cockiness. It was just this incredible aura of self-belief and a never-say-dying attitude, which, you know, all the Opals teams have that uh, never-say-die attitude, but it was this aura they had. So what about Lauren Jackson now? I mean, you look at her, she's been out of playing Australian Opals for almost 20 years, 15, 20 years now. And yep. she's and she's 40, 41, and she comes back, plays NBL 1, dominates, averaging 35, 40, 40 points a game, which is unbelievable for, you know, a 40, 41-year-old. And then gets announced through Megan Husswaite, um that she's going to be in the Opal side. So what's that like for you to see... Well, Lauren Jackson still dominating at her age. Obviously, she's kept her body in incredible, incredible shape and incredible yep. form. It was um, it, it's been a huge, huge effort on her half, you know, Max. And if I if I'm coach, I'm taking it. I'm taking her for what she can do uh, to the culture of the team, for the experience of the team, the look of the team, and I'm taking it if she's the best player available, you know. Mm. And I think she is that, you know. I think I think her game's at a level right now, you know. She worked, She has literally worked her butt off. She's dropped 22 kilos to get herself in this shape. She's um she's she's been in the gym. She's you know been on cannabis oil, which has been spoken about to try and help her recovery and give her an opportunity to make this dream happen. Which you know to be honest, I don't think she, I, I don't even think she entertained entertained this thought when she first came back. I think it was more about her boys seeing her play up at Albury Wodonga in NBL one and her finishing her career on her terms instead of having it stolen through injury. But then this beast just grew and, and we should have known it because like I spoke about before, Lauren, she, she's so super competitive. And once she decided she was going to do, do this, she, she, there was no holding back. She dropped the weight, she got into shape and now, you know, People say, no, the NBL won, you know, what's that league? But then if you look at the everybody else, all the other Australian players that are playing in that league, no one's posting the same amount of points or rebounds as she is. And if you want to say, oh, but the league that she's in isn't as strong as some of the other leagues, well, the other argument of that is you still have to put the ball in the hole and she's getting triple teamed and double teamed. So, um, look, they just had their first camp and uh, I believe she did pretty well. So uh, there's going to be a lot of pressure on a lot of players um, at that camp. And my understanding is that, um, you know, she's come in already and from a cultural point of view, really started having an effect amongst the group, uh, self-belief and, and, and teaching them what they, how they need to um, go about the game. Um, you don't have to be as nice as, you know, yes, you are teammates, but you're about getting the W and, 
and making sure they've got that little bit of, as I said, grunt in, in them like she was so famous for back in her heyday. But um, it's exciting, you know, to have Lauren's name even mentioned in, with the thought of making that World Cup is just, it's been worldwide news. And um, and I honestly, I'm, I'm if I, you know, I'm backing that she's going to make the team. Oh, absolutely. I think everyone would be backing that she's going to make the team and um, not necessarily, maybe not be in the starting five, but she's going to play some absolutely crucial minutes in this um, FIBA World Cup for the Australian Opals. Um, Michelle, just before we get into the World Cup a bit for this year and what it's like to have them back on Hope Soul, you're an ambassador for the Melbourne Boomers this season for the WNBL. So what's that like to see them get win the NBL champ, WNBL championship? Oh, yeah. Oh, that was fantastic. Um, you know, I was so happy for Guy Malloy. Um, Guy and I are really good friends. He coached me when I was in Perth and um, we have a lot of history. So, and he's been so close so many years. So, um, it was his swan song before he moved to New Zealand. And um, I just know how hard uh, that organisation has worked to build it up to being one of the, if not the best organisation in, in um, the WNBL. So it was really fitting. And I was, I was once again very proud to um, be associated with them and, um, and be invited back into the inner sanctum for the last eight weeks. So it was special. It was great. What's it like to have sort of a medal named after yourself in honour of you? <laughs> it's, well, you know, it's it's a bit embarrassing because I was never an MVP type player and the award yeah. is for the Melbourne Boomers MVP. So um, I was more of an all-star five type of gal, really. But, um, yeah, no, nah, it's, um, yeah, it's, you know, I keep saying honour and it is. It's a huge honour um, to have that named and be recognised in that way each year. So World Cups in Sydney this year. What's the preparation like at the moment from your side of things? Um, from my side of things, well, I'm going to be uh, doing some work for ESPN and Moulton and, and a few other things. So I'm, I'm right now just sort of um, getting my head around any, any news that's out there. And um, I'm actually sat down because I knew I was having a chat to you about the, uh, the program. I thought I'd go through and have a look at, um, you know, everybody in our pool's um, draw. And, you know, I was thinking about Lauren Jackson when I, as I was doing this to see whether the draw favours, you know, Lauren who will need a couple of days off here or there. And, you know, the, the start is pretty good because we play France day one, which is going to be, you know what, I, I, when the draw first came out, I thought France, no worries, they're, they're, they're not doing so well, they're, they're struggling a little bit, they've got a new head coach, they lost to Nigeria uh, at the qualification round and and they just looked out of, out of sync. They didn't look like they had any good point guards coming through. And so I ticked them off as being, no, nah, we'll get that game for sure. And um, and then I, you know, just following the, the news and looking around the world and um, watching the WNBA, the, you know, some of their players are playing themselves into some really good form and, you um, they got a point guard coming through that I hadn't heard of much about, and she just won Youth Player of the you know year in in Europe. And um, Sandy Bondello is coaching the uh, New York Liberty, and um, they've recruited Johannes, who is a is a two man who can shoot the lights out, who wasn't very impressive and was really struggling to find how she fitted in with this new coach of France in the last two tournaments. But um, but unfortunately for the Opals, um, you know, Johannes is really finding her form over in in the WNBA. So she's looking better. And then their two big players, Gruda and Mayam, come back as well. And there's another um, young kid uh, over there really challenging for Gruda's position in the five spot is meant to be doing well. So 
at first I thought that day one game was going to be, I think that's going to be really quite tough. And, you know, first game of every every tournament, you want to make sure you get the win. But France are looking a bit better than they were at the start of this year. The good thing is, though, if we get by that one, and no disrespect, but we have Mali the next game. So um, that you expect to be a little lighter. And if LJ is in the team and needs to play some minutes, you might rest her that game, you know. And then the day three, we have a rest again. So she could she can really recover depending on how much time she needs to play or whatever or how her body shape is. And then here's the kicker though. The last three games we played three, three games in three days. So we've oh, got wow. yeah, I know. And um, so there's Serbia, which is we're having the re, you know, the rerun of the Serbia in the qualification, um, the FIBA World Cup qualifiers in Serbia. Uh, one of our players, Steph Talbot, got booted from the court for an unsportsmanlike, which went on the replay. Yeah. There was no way it was unsportsmanlike. Yeah. But um, Serbia, and on the back of that and other things that happened during the game, we lost to Serbia and it was a very vicious, it was a, it was a really high, it was intense game. And so I was really, re- I'm really looking forward to day four when we take on Serbia and um, see if we can hand, hand a little bit back to them on our home soil. And then day five, we've got Canada, which, you know, I think we should should beat. And then straight off after that, we've got day six and is Japan. So, you know, we just played a little bit of a team of Japan. We played a series against Japan, but it, it was only probably, they probably had three or four good players missing, just like we had um, probably five players over in the WNBA. So, but it's a really full-on schedule, you know. It's, um you know, two days in a row, then a rest day, then three days, and then a rest day into, into um, quarterfinals, et cetera. So um, it's it, there's, there's not a game in our pool other than potentially Mali, but you play Mali early in the week, which we are going to do, and they are a high-energy um, um, type of team that towards the back end of a, a tournament might run out of speed, but we'll be playing in the second game. But in our pool, there's, you know, we have definitely got a tough pool. Um, but, boy, oh, boy, I'm really looking forward to, to day six when... Japan plays Australia and Serbia plays France. And it could go down to those um, last two games to see who actually makes, who finishes in the, in the top, you know, four. Well, I'm presuming that those teams will finish in the top four, but you don't want to just finish in the top four of our pool. You want to finish one or two, because if you finish, you know, three or four, looking at the other pool, then you're playing China or USA in the crossover, the first crossover. So you really want to play, you really want to try and get that, one or two finish in, in, in pool B, which I think Australia can do. So what do you think um, are goals for the Australian Opals team coming into this World Cup? Well, you know what? I thought be, before, if you'd asked me that about what are we in? I don't know. What my month are we? July. I would, you know, if you'd asked me that in uh, after Tokyo Olympics, I would have said, oh, look, just we need to rebuild. We need to just, you know, um, if we can just play a style that, is is that we're all happy with, especially um, us past the Opals <laughs> is happy with, then I'll be happy disregarding the win-loss. I thought in Tokyo we really we really struggled. Yes, we had the Liz Cambridge stuff that went on, but but we just didn't play an Opals brand of basketball. And I think everyone back in Australia and everyone in Australia right now wants to see an Opals brand of basketball that, that we've been renowned for and has brought us so much, so much, so much success in the past. And I think that's why everyone's really excited about LJ potentially making that team because we kind of feel that with her, she can help establish that and an identity. The group, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that if you'd asked me that question 
eight months ago, that would be my answer. But now my answer is I think we should medal. I think, I think well, not medal, but I think we should, we should give the top four a real, real good shake. Um, I, you know, I, I can't imagine that girls around the world are playing pretty well, the Australian Opals, who are playing in, you know, different, whether it's here in the NBL1 or over in the WNBA, they're looking pretty good. So um, I honestly think we can finish one or two. So, so now my ex- expectations are gone from, oh, if we just, you know, try and find our identity and and, and use this as a rebuild to, no, nah, I, I expect us to come, you know, yeah. come to medal contention now. So it's maybe a bit unfair, but I, I, I realistically think looking at everything and dissecting teams, I really think we can we can finish in the top two of our pool. Looking back on your career, Michelle, and how you viewed that 2000 Sydney Olympics, how big of an opportunity is this um, to establish yourself as a player for someone like Beth Cole, who's played 3v3 internationally? She played her first um, Australian Opals game a couple of months ago, or someone like Alana Smith, um, who's an established player already in the Opals side, or you look at someone like Ezzy Magbagor, who's up and coming. She's going to be a superstar of our future. Yeah, it's a really exciting time. I played in um, Oz 94. The, that's the last World Cup that was here. And and I just, you know, I, I totally understand that the, the, the importance um, of having an opportunity to play in front of your home crowd and, and bringing such a major international event to the shores. And um, exactly the same here. These girls have got a great opportunity to showcase not only the best competition, but our league here in Australia and, and some of our superstars. And, you know, Ezzy Magdeball, like you mentioned, is just having an outstanding season in um, in the WNBA. And Beck Cole's a, a fringe player for making the team and Alana Smith as well. So um, the opportunity these guys have between now and 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 and, and to the actual selection of the team is um, they're going to have a huge opportunity to put their game on showcase to to try and get a spot to go to that World Cup and and once there it's um it's it's as close to the Olympic experience in your own backyard you're ever going to get you know and um you got we we do as as players you do you have a responsibility um not only to play a brand on your own home court that everyone's really going to be proud of but um also engage with the public and, and 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 which the girls have been unbelievable with and getting out there and doing clinics and um, you know especially from the female side of thing uh, really showing that girls can do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all the points you make, um, Michelle, about how great of an opportunity this is um, for all our Australian Open girls um, coming through the system at the moment. Just before we finish up, Michelle, I know you've got um, a pretty tight schedule at the moment. What's your best advice to anyone who wants to be a professional basketballer and, you know, be successful like yourself? Um, I think looking back on my career, I, I think it was, uh, and I learned this mainly as a professional player, is you need to be an open book. You need to be a sponge and just absorb as much information as you can. So, so be a blank book and just get your pages filled, filled by, you know, anything that, from, from coaches to teammates, you listen to that information, you work out what, what, what's value to you and you put it in your book. And I think the ability to forever evolve and not just be stuck on this, this is the way, this is the, the you know, the one way is really important as well. And, and I learned that by going over to Europe and, you know, I, I, I'd been very um, parochial about how great Australia was, how great our coaches are, which they are. And, um, and, 
And so I went over there thinking that this is the only way to do things, you know. Yeah. So I learned a lot about um, different techniques and different philosophies um, playing uh, overseas. And I think that was something that really helped me get to the, the top of my game is that um, instead of fighting it, going, no, that's not the way you do it. We do it like this in Australia. Is just going, oh, it's not right or wrong. It's just another way. So um, just being an open book and just filling it with as much information um, about how how you can better yourself as a player and, and an individual. I think that's a big thing about basketball is it's a great vehicle that teaches young kids, especially, oh, I shouldn't go back to my academy, but we see that as a, you know, it's a real responsibility as coaches we have. We, you know, we use this great sport of basketball as a vehicle to, you know, teach kids about life lessons, how to be a good person, how to respect each other, how to be a good teammate, you know, how you know, about winning and losing, you know, not everybody, not everyone wins, you know. So we're, we're really, um, as coaches, we're, um, we've got a huge responsibility and as athletes, you do too. Michelle, thanks so much for putting aside, you know, 50 minutes or so of your time to come on and have a chat today. It's been an absolute honour and a pleasure to have you on the Opals, Opals edition um, of the show. Um, best of luck for the World Cup this year. Oh, thanks so much for having me yet that time just flew sorry for blabbing so much no that's um, all right thank you so much no worries thanks michelle stay tuned everyone for some more opals edition of sporting max this is sporting max with max becker on sen